Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. We are in episode 76. 76, over 100 hours. I know, I saw Apparently. that. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> it works out to a little over an hour 20 per episode, or so actually what exactly. what percentage of our relationship have we spent podcasting? Mm, I would say uh, one-tenth of one percent. Well, that sounds less impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with 100 hours. So we're here tonight. We are going to cover Words of Radiance. This is the second episode in Words of Radiance, and we'll be covering chapters four through seven. And next up, we will be covering chapters eight through 12, or all the way through the end of part one. Nice. I like it. Maybe... Maybe I'll find out what happens. This was the worst cliffhanger we have had in 100 hours of podcasting. It was really bad, and there was no way around it. I felt terrible. You came down the next morning, and you were like, listen. Come on, We man. got a dog. That is not cool. <laughs> but there isn't another Shalon chapter until, like, chapter 12 so it's redonkulous <laughs> just the way the cookie crumbled this time well and the way it happened this week i normally it's normally takes me a few days to get the reading done but for whatever reason i was done the reading on like monday so, <laughs> so i was like well what the hell am i gonna do with the rest of my week now like <laughs> Did you read Warbreaker? I read Warbreaker, yeah. We're going to have a podcast about that later. We will we'll war break something. <laughs> Any more cliffhangers like that, and I'm going to have to war break the cliff <laughs> that we're hanging on. So at that moment in time, if you were playing Mary Bike Ride Cliff and I was one of the individuals, would you have thrown me off the cliff? It would have been a lot of bike riding. A lot of very angry bike riding. <laughs> Why don't you put our spoiler policy out there? Sure. So the spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read these books multiple times. I have never read them and have never read anything in the Brandon Sanderson Cosmere universe other than The Way of Kings. So we will not spoil anything beyond Chapter 7 of Words of Radiance. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Chapter four is called Taker of Secrets. In this chapter, we reconnected with Dalinar and the rest of the Colleen family. I'm trying to say it another way. Colleen? Colin? That sounds like a 70s product used to avoid weight gain, (laughs) results in oily stool. The way we've been saying it. It's coffee and bacon grease. (laughs) Just sounds like, you know, you know. Also like coffee and bacon grease. Also. (laughs) Would you like to go get some coffee? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm kind of in the mood for some bacon grease, actually. Well, Kay, don't get your bacon grease in my coffee. <laughs> you get your coffee out of my bacon grease, man. This We're is, off to a good start. This is how, you know, candy companies are formed. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying don't knock it. Can I finish my chapter summary, please? Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So Dalinar is in the middle of a vision, which he's describing for Navani's benefit. In the vision, he's with a group of soldiers, and they're searching for a spren that has been corrupted by something called Sija Anat. Instead, they wind up finding a thunderclast. The Almighty tells him that he needs to refound the Knight's Radiant. After Navani leaves and the, Dal- and the vision is ended, Dalinar has a power nap and awakens to a cryptic message scrawled on the wall of his chamber. It says, 62 days, death follows. So, I mean, if you're going to scrawl a message on a man's bedchamber wall while he's sleeping... Go ominous or go home, obviously. <laughs> I mean, could this be an example of just really bad grammar? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I, I believe... Adolin, I think. When, um, no, when they, they call someone in to, mm-hmm. to look at it or translate it, and the yeah. scholarly woman is, is saying that it's very bad grammar. So who knows? But let's go back. Let's go back to the vision part because that's the I... beginning of the chapter. So Dalinar's vision, he's he's running around with some guys. They're in bronze helms somewhere in the Pure Lake, he thinks. And there's a couple of radiants there as well. And one thing that's interesting is that one of the radiants is wearing armor that looks just like Adolin's armor. Mm-hmm. And they're speaking an ancient version of Sele, which is the language that's spoken now in the pure lake so that's you know a good another piece of evidence that dalinar is not just crazy so and they're looking for this i thought this was interesting too and an important bit of world building they're looking for a spren that doesn't look like a spren or doesn't act like a spren should and uh they say that a spren that's been touched by saja anat starts to act funny it's true. So that's a name or a being mm-hmm. or concept that we haven't had mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, I know I start. Rewind. That's too far. I think I should get like three cancel buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we just have to edit the ridiculous stuff I say out. Yes. Yes. So when they find the spren, it looks like a shadow with red eyes. Boring. What? What? (laughs) Now, listen, I'm thinking Chad's going to love this chapter because he's been wanting to see a thunderclass in action. No. The whole time he's been like, when are we getting some giant stone monsters? Thunder, 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 thunderclass. So no, I was, was like, great. yeah, they'll be excited. <laughs> so the Thunderclass is cool. It's sort of a, um, you, you get a sense that it's not a, a discreet being of its own. Yeah. It's just sort of whatever 
supernatural forces out there is able to create a monster out of the lake bed itself and it just kind of like stands up out of creme starts kicking ass it's a creme monster it is no i thought it was awesome i especially like the description how he's like you know this one like arm of stone shoots out and then comes back down and another one shoots out yeah you could just picture that hoist itself up off the bottom of the lake floor it was pretty groovy Mm -hmm. they were like get the hammers and i was like get a jet ski i'm the fuck out of here (laughs) fuck your hammers (laughs) yeah this whole time he's in pure lake and i'm thinking if these people think that shinovar chicken is a treat what do the alethi think about fish Because fish is way easier to prepare than a chicken. We've all seen that scene from Lord of the Rings where Smeagol takes out the fish and he's singing and he just, you know, reaches in and bites into it. Picks it up and bites into it just like a mango, like a flesh mango. And that's what fish are. Flesh mangoes? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Way easier than a chicken. Now, I get that, like, they're not going on a lot of long ocean voyages, but in this section, we have a long ocean voyage with sea life. Nobody's eating fish. I'm not sure that's true. There aren't the lengthy descriptions of food that we're used to. That could be. In the Stormlight Archives? That could be a part of it. Like, I mean, there's kind of like, there's been a couple descriptions, especially when it comes to describing men's versus women's food. Mm-hmm. Which is culturally relevant. Right. But it's not like, there's not, not really food porn in uh, Stormlight Archives. But flesh mangoes would definitely be women's food. It depends on how they're prepared. What if it's flesh mangoes with habanero mango chutney? Right, the more you say flesh mangoes, the more inappropriate it sounds. Well, it's just it's just fish, Liz. That somehow made it more inappropriate. I you just pick it up and bite into it and <laughs> wiggles in your mouth and oh, canceled. canceled. <laughs> runs down your chin. Cancel that joke right now. No, listen, you're out of cancels for this episode. <laughs> Damn it. Your censorship (laughs) privileges have been revoked. (laughs) This is America. (laughs) You cannot squash my freedom. I have the right to say whatever stupid (laughs) shit I want to. Damn the torpedoes. Everyone. Flesh mango. <laughs> I mean, would would it have been better if I said tomatoes? No. Right? Correct. Going to get that chin of our chicken. <laughs> so this vision, huh? I'm just telling you what was on my mind. <laughs> this might be why I miss details. <laughs> Surprise level zero, but... <laughs> 
So one other thing during the vision uh-huh. is that Dalinar sees a radiant apparently talking to himself. But we figure he's probably himself. talking to his... I think it was the... There was a female radiant as well, but also a Oh, I thought it was the one dude. in his little... Okay. I could be wrong. But uh, it's not he important. sees one of yeah. the radiants talking to themselves. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that Dalinar was talking to himself. Not really. He was talking to Navani. Correct. And one of the guys in his squad is like, dude, you all right? What's going on with you, buddy? Come on. Mm -hmm. Because he was talking to himself, you know? And then it's right after that that he notes that the Radiant is also talking to him or herself. And I was like, oh, no. That Radiant is also in a vision. (laughs) And is also translating back to her version of Navani. This is going on all over the world, and he just doesn't know it. And then three days later, I was like, he's talking to a spren. (laughs) (laughs) Dummy. (laughs) Uh, That would have been cool, though. The other one would have been cool. So what are the chances? (laughs) Apparently 0%. (laughs) At the end of the vision, the Almighty talks to Dalinar as he does always at the end, sort of these pre-recorded messages. And he tells him in this one that he didn't start the Knights Radiant. This wasn't his idea, that he didn't teach his heralds how to do this, and that really it was the Spren wishing to imitate what he had given men that kind of started this whole thing, this Nahel bond yeah, yeah. that they that they formed. So that's kind of interesting. And he tells Dalinar to refound them, to vex Odium and convince him that he can lose and that he should appoint a champion. I think in that conversation, he asks what to me is probably the most vital question. How could you be surprised that the Radiance and the Spren bonded? If your god... You should know everything. How could you be killed? If you've been killed, you must not be God. I thought that that was so important too. Dalinar's belief in God, even after finding out that the almighty creator of mankind is dead, it doesn't really waver. No. He Mm -hmm. doesn't go like, oh my gosh, there's no God because what I thought was God is actually this being that could be killed. I'm going to burn all my preppy clothes and start wearing Sex Pistols (laughs) t-shirts. Like you do. Like you do. But instead, he's like, well, he must not be God. So I I thought that was really interesting. And the fact that his morality remains intact throughout this entire process as well. You know, later he and Navani are discussing, she's like, hey, now that we're smooching, how about... How about I just move in? Can I have a drawer? And <laughs> and he's like, no, we're not we're not going to do that. That conflicts with my morality, not just the That's whatever right. taboos of our society. And she's like, well, they're never going to let us get married and do things the way you want us to. So what what are we supposed to do? And he You're says, spo- well, so, and, and then she says, especially since the Almighty's dead, apparently. So. And uh, he says, but something's either right or wrong. The Almighty doesn't come into it. So it's interesting. We've heard a lot of discussion in the Yasna and Shalon chapters about relative morality. And is there a, 
a right or wrong that is absolute in the universe. So it's just kind of a cool concept that keeps getting explored here. You're going to have to keep a purse and take your damn toothpaste back and forth with you. Right. <laughs> Suck it up. Do the walk of shame like every like everybody, like everybody else. else has to. You're going to have to walk across this war camp with generations of choline <laughs> drying oh, upon God. your breast. So gross. Like the murderer that you are. See, you made a mistake. You vetoed too early in the podcast. Oh, dang it. That's a rookie it's mistake. It's going to go Duchess. way downhill. It's only going to get worse now from here. You're just going to see. Is there a double explicit tag? <laughs> so chapter five. Oh, um, do you, you have anything you else? Can't, you can't make me podcast after I had to spend a night at an event where I had to be buttoned up and proper. <laughs> And then you bring me here and set me loose upon the world. You're caffeinated. You got to know better than this. I had one and a half iced teas. <laughs> I might stay up till 1230. <laughs> now, my only other comment on this chapter, I got, I got a, a couple First is, how the hell did Banksy make it into Dalinar's room? Banksy is... <laughs> I know who Banksy is. Of course you do. But for those of you who don't know who Banksy is, Banksy is a yet unidentified graffiti gorilla Shh. artist. Banksy is a, a street artist, an anonymous England-based street artist, Vandal, political activist, and film director. How is this not Banksy? You're right. Second one is, bitch, you got two months. <laughs> I think I said last podcast, I said, we're like a couple of months away. I did not know how literally that would be. Yes, yeah, so we have a, a countdown now. And this is apparently the months of July and August, because they're the only 31-day months that are back-to-back against each other. So this is specifically. Just just go with it. Just, I mean, okay, just, yeah. Just, just, just go sure. with it. Don't, don't question. Chapter five? Chapter five. It's called Ideals. Meanwhile, Kaladin's D&D party is still at the quartermaster futzing around with supplies and pondering over how they're going to protect Dalinar and his family in the wake of the king's unpopular announcement. Elikar has made Dalinar High Prince of War and changed the way that the gem hearts are to be won and distributed. Obviously, the other high princes are less than thrilled, though Sadius and his wife Iale see an opportunity to seize power for themselves. Dalinar and his sons meet with Elikar to discuss the war camp's reaction to the proclamation. Dalinar wants to start spanking people, but he settles for letting Adolin start dueling them all and taking their shard blades. Oh, and he intends to refund the Knight's Radiant. No big deal. Nice D&D party reference. Thank you. I mean, that's just how I, I get the feeling like, you know, we jump into Shallan and 
Dalinar and it's kind of like something happens right away. Like things are moving fast and then Kaladin's still like, so let's get some, uh, let's get supplies and Rock, you're going to cook and, you know, we're going to put these guys over here. It just feels like everyone else is like off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Kaladin's still like, well, how many bags of Solkaz grain do we need? <laughs> so look, this is very important for your D&D adventure preparation, okay? Buy a dog. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, you could take the advice or you could leave it. I'm just telling you from a veteran guy, buy a dog. All right. I'm waiting for the tie-in to the chapter to happen. Nope. There's no tie-in. Gotcha. All right. We start the chapter with Kaladin. There's a little bit of head jumping in this chapter. Yeah. But we start with mm -hmm. Kaladin, and he's still kind of worried about trusting Dalinar. He still in, has this sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we see Syl kind of being his touchstone or his anchor. You know, he she confronts him about, why aren't you happy? Like, this is literally better than the best outcome you ever could have hoped for. Absolutely. And he's like, I don't know. I just, things can't be going this good without something terrible being on the horizon. So something bad's going to happen. Yeah, he says the thunder follows the lightning. And the thunder in this case is the depression that he's waiting to set in. But I always equated thunder with farts. Really? Oh, yeah, of course. All right. Listen, anytime there's a bright flash of light like a camera, I always fart. Within six seconds... Gonna, that's not, I'm the only one who does that? I think you might be. You know what I saw on the Facebooks? What's that? I don't know if it's a joke or not. Mm -hmm. But it was underwear. Neither do I. It was underwear that had like this, this pad or something in it mm -hmm. that make your fart smell like mint. Wow. So I've ordered you about a dozen. <laughs> So we'll find out whether or not it's a joke. We'll find out. I'm just thinking logistically. Stay tuned. <laughs> wow, okay. I'll I'll let you know. If that is in fact true, I will put a post on the website demonstrating the results. <laughs> we will review the product. And give it our honest our honest opinion. So one of the things that he notices when he's in the camp, and I'm glad he noticed this, is that he's looking around at all of the the people who aren't there anymore. Yes. The empty posts. Yeah, and that's kind of sad. It is. And the families who are there with dead loved ones, you know, dead husbands and fathers. Uh, and he says... The dead didn't need to become void bringers to haunt this camp. Now, what does he mean there? So I think that one of the superstitions about the void bringers is that they become synonymous with like ghosts. Um, mm -hmm. They, when you die, you become a void bringer and you haunt people. I feel like I had made some sort of reference to that many, many, many 
episodes ago that I the said the people who were killed with shard blades became void bringers. Maybe I, I I don't remember, but something to that effect. But yeah, that's one of the the superstitions that they have. Is this the first time it's been referenced? I feel like in the beginning of Way of Kings, when Kaladin is in the slave wagon, the other men mm-hmm. are talking about void bringers being on the winds or being in the storm. I'm not sure. Gotcha. Specifically, okay. it was talking about dead people, but I, I feel like it's been mentioned here or there. Yeah, I mean, breaking wind. What is thunder if not? I'll move on. So, Kaladin is the battalion commander. He's a captain. But he's in charge of a battalion. Yeah. He's also the head of the Colleen dance troupe. <laughs> no, you're right. That's right? Everybody, everyone's wearing spandex, and they got big forced smiles, <laughs> false teeth, and they're going... They're dancing. And then there's a giant flash of light and just coffee and bacon grease everywhere. So he's the head of the Colon family guard. And then later we're going to find out that Dalinar also wants him to be in charge of the king's bodyguard. This is like, this is way more than being a squad leader. This is a massive increase in responsibility. But it's also going to, it's going to start pulling Kaladin in a lot of different directions at one time. Mm-hmm. One of these spinning plates is not going to be able to be maintained. You're as pessimistic as Kaladin is. <laughs> I think also patrolling outside of the war camps is going to be bad. Really? Why? The logic behind it makes sense, but it sets Kaladin's men up for betrayal or ambush. Outside of the purview of where things can be controlled or witnessed. That's true. However, Kaladin's talking about going out with a force of like a thousand men. True. So it would take a pretty sizable group to ambush them or harm them. I'm not sure if any of the high princes are willing to kind of openly go against Dalinar like that, where they're going to commit a good chunk of their army to. It would be difficult to take an army outside without somebody noticing it. Right. Right. It's not like he's sending Kaladin out with like five other dudes. Yeah. Um, But he's sending them out for them to get some practical experience without having to send them on a plateau run. And also you know, hopefully cut down on the bandits that have apparently been getting to be a worse problem. So real quick, almost a sidebar, but my favorite part of this chapter Mm. is in the beginning when Kaladin is having the, the the sort of town crier or whoever has this proclamation and he's made her read it like four times in a row. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) he says, the crier snaps the book closed Looking up at Kaladin and cocking a long black eyebrow he was pretty sure had been painted on with makeup. (laughs) And I'm like, did Brandon Sanderson just low-key, like, bag on mid-2010s eyebrow trend? He may have. Because if so, I am here for it. (laughs) (laughs) You're here for catty, anachronistic fashion burns in your fantasy? 
Fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> Do it, Brandor. Now understand, I'm I'm speaking from a, a place of just true petty jealousy. <laughs> what are you saying about your eyebrow game? Because my eyebrow game is so weak. Mm. I'm sorry, '90s chicks, we just can't do that that uh, that full like microbladed eyebrow look. It's just not. We plucked them all too thin. Well, I don't even know what our marriage is based on anymore. It's based on the fact that. The older and more jacked up my face looks, the worse your eyesight gets. And that's a beautiful dynamic. Uh, sweetheart, I think you look amazing. Exactly. I mean <laughs> I mean I'm I'm struggling to get lo- to get around town anymore. I took out a shirt this morning and um I'm getting fat, so I only have a handful of shirts that I can actually uh, button the top one and use as a tie and i'm sitting there holding it up to light pulling it close to my face away from my face i was like i mean this is like a size 17 font and i can't see jack all <laughs> i just had to put it on and try it i was like okay it fits so either i grabbed the right shirt or i lost 15 pounds i don't <laughs> but i think your eyebrows look great and that's how it works for us i'm just saying your eyebrows have never given me four beautiful children. <laughs> That's why I can laugh about it. Because you don't care. I think there's a lot of things that women do with the intention of attracting men, yet failing to understand how incredibly creepy we are. And I, I feel like I can speak for all men in this. <laughs> we are creepy as hell. <laughs> and you can wax or pluck your eyebrows all you want to. It is not going to make a hint of a difference. <laughs> Hypothetically, if you and I were not together... And I was out on the prowl, like, you know, some younger man. And I ran across a woman who looked like you, but whose hair and fashion were straight out of 1987. I would be all in that. (laughs) All the girls in the bar would be like, oh, my God, have you seen her like? Who does bangs like that anymore? <laughs> and I'd be like, vagina. <laughs> you vetoed too early. I vetoed too early. So what I'm saying is, Kaladin needs to be at least a lieutenant colonel or else this doesn't, he's really getting underpaid. That's what I'm trying to say. I trust your expertise. So, Toral Sadius? Yeah. What a shit name. Toral. Toral. <laughs> Toral sounds like like a generic brand of 1972 cigarettes. It does. Like a full page ad in the back of Red Book. And it'd be like, 
Nothing satisfies me like the full body taste of Toral cigarettes. Right? Absolutely. You know I'm right. You're right. So we get the saddiest perspective. He's sitting around the table. He's got Oathbringer stuck in the middle of the table. Oathbringer sounds like the most obnoxiously gaudy sword ever. Like, if it was straight out of like a 70s mob wives jewelry collection. He's sitting down on his chair at the dining room table, never taking the plastic off the chair, and he's like, Barbara, this sword has brought us nothing but trouble. (laughs) You get your brother down here, and you tell him what to do with his sword. I don't have I don't have a continuation of that. I'm just saying it's just gonna end. This sword is the most obnoxious thing I've ever seen. It doesn't fit with anything else. Well, that's why it it's supposed to disappear when you're not actually using it. Just like my brother. <laughs> Except with him I can't get any use out of him. He only shows up when he's not useful. Anytime I need anything done, he disappears. When I call his name, he comes back and he's all covered in condensation. I don't know where he's been. So this was an interesting little look at Sadius because it confirms that in a weird way, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah, it does. He's following some sort of sense of morality. You know, when he kind of says like, you know, by destroying Dalinar... I was seeking to prevent the collapse of the kingdom. Yeah, that's what Stalin thought too. Exactly. And we find out that he's not all about the wealth. I mean, he likes it, don't get me wrong, but for Sadius, that's not his motivating factor. He's about the conquest. Dominating because of other people. Of course people. he is. Of course he is. My name is Toral Sadius. <laughs> I'm going to be your Dom Daddy. <laughs> He, Sadius is totally a dumb daddy. Barbara! (laughs) Bring me my rope. Put your finger right here on this knot. Do you think maybe if I shorten the pauses between my sentences... Things won't get quite so out of hand over there. No, this one was doomed from the start. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, so then we get into the actual meeting, okay, between Dalinar, his sons, Navani's there, Elikar's there, and Kaladin brings his guys, you know, he's guarding the meeting or whatever, and he's getting everyone stationed up, and Dalinar invites him to stay and hear what's being said he says because this is going to affect your job this is where I'm, I'm laying out our plan so another thing i noticed was in describing elicar because this is the first time i think kaladin has seen him up close mm-hmm. um he says that his nose was larger than paintings of him showed <laughs> that's right it's like oh burn Damn. and it just kind of says something about elicar as well yeah I like some of the stuff that came from Dalinar or from Kaladin's perspective this time, like the arrow yeah. comment. That's my favorite. You know, he's like, actually, it was probably best to leave the arrow there. <laughs> yeah. 
till you find a qualified medical professional. <laughs> but I thought it was probably not appropriate to say it at this moment. I mean, that part of the book is obviously Ron Howard voice right there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I you love guys want to go see a dead high prince. <laughs> when uh, Elicar meets Kaladin and he's just like, is that a captain's insignia on a dark eyes? When did that start happening? Yeah. And he's just like, he's the king, but he's just kind of like, oh, okay. What's, yeah. Are we doing that now? Oh, uh, is that what we're doing? Mm. So that's actually an important dynamic here that Kaladin notices and that gives him a little bit of pause is that Dalinar acts like the king. Even the king, you know, Dalinar comes in and says, this is what we're going to do. And even though there are things that Elokar is obviously not happy with, he's just like, okay, well, what's your plan? You obviously have one. Well, it's not only that Elokar is not cool with it. It's nobody's cool with it, nor should they be. It's not necessarily a good idea. Really? So what part do you not think is a good idea? So I think in this world, I'm not saying that Dalinar will fail or what he's trying to do is wrong because Dalinar knows something and is receiving, you know, wisdom from outside that nobody else in the council should know anything about. Even Kaladin, who knows there's some wacky shit going on with Stormlight, doesn't really know everything that Dalinar knows. So objectively... To the people in that room, the concept of deliberately agitating all the high princes, getting them to oppose him, and then afterwards saying something like, we're going to reconstitute the Knights Radiant, you know, <laughs> so that they can give get political justification for doing what they're doing is objectively a bad idea. It's a bad idea. However, as Kaladin properly notes, nobody seems to question him. I mean, they, they're like, are you crazy? But they roll with it. So, yeah, who's the one making the decisions in the room? Yeah, and it makes Kaladin kind of question whether or not, again, he's always still questioning Dalinar, but he kind of stops and goes, you know, Amaram used to do that too, just take power Yeah, in, in whatever way. But... We saw Dalinar in the last chapter when Navani asks him, why Why do you have to be the one doing all of this? He, he doesn't see power as something that he's seeking after. Mm-hmm. It's a responsibility that he's taking. So we know that he's a trustworthy character. He's a trustworthy person to have it. Kaladin doesn't quite know that yet. However, you could also say the same thing about Sadius. You could say that Sadius is saying, I'm not observing power for the sake of it. I'm doing what needs to be done for the kingdom because this is what has to be done to move us forward. This is what God would want. No, for Sadius is doing what he wants to do. The fact that it's what's good for the kingdom or what God would want, that's just like a pleasant side effect for him. You know, his driving motivating factor is the need for conquest. Yeah, I agree with you, by the way. But a lot of this chapter is about Kaladin's perspective and how mm-hmm. he is seeing these people. I love his meeting with Adolin when Adolin comes in with his fancy boots. Oh, my God. And Kaladin's like, Ugh. I can't believe you brought one of them here. <laughs> one of 
the Jets. <laughs> hey, man, we're the Sharks. Those two, by the way, need to get a room. <laughs> Work your shit out, man. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> Yeah, so that was kind of a funny little interaction. I love in this... Oh. So in the little outburst, when Dalinar says, we're going to rebuild the Voidbringers, you know? I'm trying to think of what's a good, like, modern-day example of what would make sense for an example for that. I'm not quite sure, you know. So an organization that started out... We're going to bring back the Daughters of the Revolution. Yeah, not quite, because the the Daughters of the Revolution didn't, like, betray mankind. Mm, That's a problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't know. I'm not quite sure. We're bringing back the Knights Templar. Ah, the, uh, yeah, 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 the old, you know, old school Catholic. There you go. You know, Spanish Inquisition Inquisition. wasn't all that bad. (laughs) I heard they had comfy chairs. So he says, he says we're going to bring back the, the Knights Radiant, right? And Teshav says, you're going to try to rebuild a sect of traitors who gave us over to the Voidbringers? Yep. Uh, I believe I made that clear. <laughs> and then they're like, what about the fact that they had magic powers? <laughs> you can't just be like, boop, you're a Knights Radiant. <laughs> He's like, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> magic powers, magic powers. <laughs> Listen, the world we live in is not necessarily finite. There's a <laughs> anything could happen if you just believe. No, but my my point here, uh, other than a long winded diatribe, is to ask: Is this the first we've had a reference of the idea that the Knights Radiant quote? gave the Vorans over to the Voidbringers? Like, we no, haven't... I mean, the, the Recreance is all about the Knights Radiant refusing to fight the Voidbringers anymore. Well, I know they kind of gave up and threw their swords down. I think that's what they mean by that. I guess that makes sense, yeah. You know, something actually really important in the last chapter that I forgot to bring up, because we've been talking here and there about the recreants and about the almighty being dead and, and speculating about did that happen at the same time? What happened first? And in the last chapter in this vision, the almighty tells him you need to refound them. And I was like, Oh, so that means that the almighty died and made this vision as his dying thing Mm. after the knights had dispersed. So the recreants wasn't caused by the Almighty being killed. Oh, I, yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, we don't know how this creature, uh, Honor slash the Almighty, is dead, yet also displaying this thing after the fact. Right. And uh, understanding something that's happening after he died. Like, right. S- so there's a lot of variables there that we really don't understand. But no, that logically makes sense. The other thing I wanted to bring up in this chapter, and this is my last note in this chapter, is you have, you know, what is it, uh, like four or five people in this room together, 
plus Kaladin. And it's, I mean, we don't know, we don't know exactly how big of a room it is, but it's presumably not the size of like a house. They're all relatively close to each other. But all the while, Kaladin is having a conversation with Syl. So in their, to their perception, he is talking to himself. So I, I don't know how small the room is, but it is the gallery of maps. So I pictured ah. kind of a large room and maybe Kaladin kind of being a little bit farther away by the door. I missed that it was the gallery of maps. Yeah. I do think, however, that that is going, his talking to himself because he has become so used Mm-hmm. to just having these conversations with Syl. Mm-hmm. And around Bridge 4, it's not really out of place. Uh, by the way, even w- when it was, before people understood what was going on, he was still doing it anyway without any regard right. for what it looked like. So this is becoming habit for him. He's going to do it in front of Light Eyes. It's going to become an issue. And Dalinar is going to remember... And be able to put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Boom! Boom. Called it. I also, I love in this chapter, um, Shen coming out of his shell a little bit. That gives you warm fuzzies, right? They're, at the beginning of the chapter, they're all sitting around having stew. And Shen comes up for seconds. And uh, Kaladin notes that he's doing that more since yeah. they've moved out. Well, he's been busy scaling walls and climbing through windows. and He's Banksy! Is that a prediction? You heard it here first. I like it. Shen is Banksy, who in this case is actually some random guy with bad grammar. (laughs) We also meet Sadius' wife. Did we talk about her? Of the slim neck? Yes. The very first thing this man says about his wife, he's like, here comes my wife with the slender neck. (laughs) My skinny-necked wife. She's like, she had a slender neck and a big mouth (laughs) on a big head. I don't know how she held it up at night. (laughs) She could take giant bites of food, but she couldn't swallow. (laughs) (laughs) I once saw her swallow an entire lobster. Took her three days to get it down, but she put it in her mouth, no problem. (laughs) Everything about it was very wide, shallow. (laughs) From the Pure Lake region. (laughs) Who, Who says that about their significant other? You know the first thing I noticed about you? <laughs> what? Very slender ankles. <laughs> really? <laughs> Very petite. <laughs> Huge <So>, feet. <laughs> Very slender ankles. So you're like an 1820s kind of guy. You're into <laughs> the ankles. You know, I mean, you know, you got to have your thing, man. <laughs> I like a girl who's wearing an entire rug. <laughs> But she shows off a little ankle. <laughs> oh, you hussy, you. Barbara, get in here. <laughs> Michelle's showing off her ankles again. I don't know who any of these people are. 
You, I'm, just, I'm trying to veto you with my eyes, but it's not working. I don't know if you realize that one of my goals in these podcasts is to have complete and total breakdown of order. That's come across to me. I yes. want the podcast to descend into chaos. Yeah, that's evident. Okay. <laughs> I've always been lawful evil. That's why we're a good balance. <laughs> so we talk about the five ideals in this chapter as well. And that's important for what Dalinar is trying to do. And it's important for what Kaladin is trying to accomplish as well. Because Dalinar references that the kingdom is lacking the real ideals that they had abandoned. Right. And he says, you know, to the the very valid point that hey, the Knights Radiant had magic powers, he says they weren't just about that. The most important thing about them was that their idea they had these ideals, and that's what this kingdom is missing. He says, you know, when they're talking about whether or not their plan is going to, you know, destroy Alethkar, he says, Alethkar is a kingdom died centuries ago. This thing we've created is not Alethkar, and I would rather it be destroyed than continue as things are, you know. He doesn't really ask anyone else's opinion about that. <laughs> Even but if hey, they kill our families, it's a chance I'm willing to take. <laughs> he's the Blackthorn. You know what? You just kind of get out of the way. But um, he's talking about these ideals. And I just think it's so interesting to have a, a, a system of power and magic that's tied to character growth. So, you know, Kaladin spoke the f- the first ideal is the same for all of the orders all 10 orders that life before death strength before weakness journey before destination and then we've seen kaladin discover the second ideal of the wind runners because after that each order has their own which was i will protect those who cannot protect themselves mm-hmm. and this these words sort of came to him at a time when he was ready to accept them through work he'd done on himself as a person and and the risks that he was willing to take to go out and save Dalinar and his men. So I just think that's so cool. That is cool. That, you know, these ideals and these powers are tied to them becoming better people. That is very cool. I've never seen any other magic system that I can think of that would be like that. Now, I don't have the breadth of, of reading knowledge that you have. So Kaladin, when he's thinking about that, he says that, you know, he's spoken the second ideal, but she won't tell, Syl won't tell him what the rest of them are. She says that he'll find them out when he needs to, or he won't, and he won't progress any further. So it's just interesting. That is interesting. It's the Protestant work ethic of magic systems. Yeah. I'm digging it. Right? So chapter six is called Terrible Destruction. Shallan spends some time getting to know Pattern, her new spren. It's kind of hilarious, and in the process, she discovers her second power, Illumination. She is able to make the deck around her turn green when she's thinking about plants. Yasna thinks she is one of the Order of Light Weavers. She and Shallan discuss the nearly impossible nature of their task. Travel to the Shattered Plains, find the pathway to the lost city of Erythiru, and hopefully enough evidence to convince the Alethi to give up their parchment. Shallan goes to bed exhausted and worried and awakens to screams, shouts, and smoke. Man, I'm reading this chapter, 
And we get to the end and it screams and smoke. And I'm like, thank God we've got one more chapter left in this section. So I can get some resolution. (sighs) Can read chapter seven and go to sleep with peace in my heart. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'll get it this right. week. You can you can find out what happens tonight, baby. That's right. That's right. Tonight. So, Yob was able to see her do her light weaving thing. Yes, and also he can see pattern the spren. Yes. Now I didn't really think about it last time when Yasna could see him, but it crossed my mind this time. I'm like, wait a minute. In the case of Syl, only only if Syl wants to be seen can Syl be seen, and some for some reason Rock can see her. But with Pattern, that doesn't seem to be the case. Pattern Maybe he's an is, exhibitionist. He's kind of different, and I wonder if that has to do with the fact that Spren of his kind haven't interacted with humans in so long. His, um, he seems, well, when he first kind of appears, complete, like he can't even talk or move around objects without bumping into them. Yeah. You know, he's just kind of like completely newborn kitten, like, and I wonder if- This all over me. Right. I wonder if that has to do with Syl being more similar to Windspren and kind of having longer to acclimate. Yeah, maybe because we see Windspren, we see Firespren, we see all these other Spren. So seeing a Windspren and then a Windspren being around and then binding, you know, would have been sort of in the world for longer, but we never see Deception Spren. True. However, now that I say that, we find out in this chapter that Pattern has been with and around Shallan for quite some time. Apparently since she was lost in a jungle one day. No, in her father's gardens. Oh, is that where? Okay. So she starts having memories of Pattern drawing him in the dirt as a child and playing games with a pattern of light. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. And that... Yeah, because when she's talking about, well, at the end um, or in the next chapter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or we all read it. It's fine. What, okay. He's saying, use the lies. And she's like, I don't remember it. how. And he's like, remember when we were with, I was with you before. She remembers being a child playing with a pattern of light mm. and drawing him in the dirt. So there are, he was with her in Yakoved, but neither of them remember it. Pattern because of, Whatever for whatever reason he seems to have lost his memory of himself. Chloroform. Oh, there you go. And Shalan, because she's got a lot of repressed memories that when she even goes near them, it's like her mind just goes blank. Yeah. Also chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> but pattern is so interesting. You know, he likes lies, but he likes true lies. He likes the nature of them. You know, when Yalb comes over. And he's boasting to the new, a new sailor about having met the king of Carbranth. And, you know, Shallan's like, well, it's a bit of an exaggeration. And Pattern says, you know, that he likes that. That's interesting to mm-hmm. him. He says, light makes shadow and truth makes lies. But he can't understand things like eating. And that 
was one of my favorite parts mm-hmm. is when he's trying to understand and and she's like, "Yeah, you eat it." And he's like, "This is this is terrible. Terrible destruction. <laughs> You're a monster." That mango had children. <laughs> Little fish children. <laughs> Little flesh mangoes swimming oh, around God. in the ocean. That's a callback, baby. So why is it that Spren always seem to be the opposite gender of the person they bind to? I mean, in the instances that we have seen so far, it's a that small is, sample size. It is a small sample size. So also, if the Spren are returning the oaths, so the binding is happening, which is creating the the Knights Radiant. Right. If that's coming back, then Kaladin, Yasna, and Shallan are just the first of many who will be able to soul cast, bind, use stormlight, light weave, right. et cetera. Yes. Okay. That is what Yasna believes. And she's disturbed by this because until she met Shallan, she was kind of hoping that maybe she was an anomaly, that no one else out there was starting to regain these powers. Now she's met her and she realizes, no, this is... This is happening, this and is in, the, thing. in the past, a desolation was always marked by the return of the heralds, and then the heralds, w- and then there would be an influx of people gaining these powers. Um, it's interesting because we know that the heralds we do are not returning because they've basically just been wandering around Roshar since the last desolation. Like they didn't go back to their special place. They've just they're just we don't even know. Yeah. Well we we have we have seen some heralds. Yes, we have. We saw one come back, but he was the one who was stuck in the wherever world that is that heralds go when heralds uh, you know, aren't sitting around with their purple crayons. We have seen more than that. Wit is a herald? Just throwing it out there. Hoyd is a herald? We've seen three heralds so far in the book. All right, there's Harold Peterson, Harold (laughs) Smith, Harold Weiskopf. Listen, where do heralds go when they're not manning the forklift? I'm not going to tell. I'm just throwing that hint out there. I hope that's not too spoilery. But we have seen at least three heralds. I've only known two heralds in my entire life. I don't think I know a single herald. No, I might know one. I'm just saying you're not missing anything. Our apologies to everyone named Harold and along with everyone in the country of Sweden Mississippi. All chiropractors. All chiropractors. Florida. Mississippi. Listen. Anyone else? Listen. I mean, sometimes you just got to draw a line out there. Some people just like to watch the podcast burn. Let's talk about Shalon's conversation with Yasna. Because they are talking about, and it's it's very important because of what happens in the next chapter, that Shalon gets this information. Yeah. Because... She tells Yasna about the ability that she's started to manifest. And Yasna says, okay, this is probably the Order of Knights Radiant. So each of the orders has access to two of the surges, which are sort of the forces of nature. Mm -hmm. And Yasna and Shalon share one of those surges, which is soul casting 
or the surge of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, this is probably your other one. It's this um, light illumination, weaver. light yeah. weaving. So making illusions or whatever, something like that. So she Isn't gives- is there a character in another book with a very similar name? Blush Weaver. Okay. In Warbreaker. So she they, she also talks to her, frankly, about what she's trying to find in the Shattered Plains. Tells her all about Erythiru and why it's important that they go there. Erythiru? Are we, we're going with Erythiru. I think Erythiru. Erythiru. I think that's what they want us to say. Erythiru. See, I was always saying Erythiru, which sounds like something I should need an antibiotic for. Right, it burns when, <laughs> when I do that. Every time I say that, it burns a little. Erythiru. Erythiru. Okay, Erythiru. We'll try that. Let's try that. She's told Shalon before she doesn't think that the city is in the Shattered Plains, but that the way to it is supposed to be, and that only a Knight's Radiant can open the way, and that she's hoping to find records there that haven't been tampered with. So it's interesting. We see, again, the ramifications of the hierocracy and the kind of cleansing of the records that happened during that time when the church Mm -hmm. took control. But she's hoping to find some records that will give them some accurate information about the Voidbringers and the Desolations. An uncontrovertible proof. Proof that cannot be controverted. Yeah. Can't be traverted conly. She also tells Shalon that soul casting is now more dangerous than ever. She doesn't really explain no, why. No, she doesn't. Uh, well, I have a... Sus- I suspect because if soul casting becomes more common, but you're not an ardent, you're going to draw a giant X on your back, and the ardents are the people who have a vested interest in stopping this from happening. I mean, that's true, but I think she also seems to not want Shalon doing it unsupervised well, yeah, for right that now. Makes, yeah, that makes sense. So we don't know if there's something going on there. Does she mean specifically maybe... Wait a minute. Does she mean maybe like right now? Like as in right now on this boat, we should not soul cast. Maybe. Because... Well, we'll talk about it more in the next chapter. So chapter seven is called Open Flame. Shalan stumbles out of bed and into the hall to find something truly horrible. Yasna's body surrounded by the men who killed her. She watches as one of them rams a knife through Yasna's chest just to be sure. Shalan manages to barricade herself in her room, then somehow make a shape that resembles herself fleeing the room. The men chase after the shape, and Pattern helps her to see Shadesmar. She convinces the ship to change into water in hopes that in the chaos, she and the sailors will be able to escape. She only intended to soul cast the bottom of the ship, but instead the entire ship changes into water, and she is pulled down into the deep. See, so, I read this chapter too, but when I read this chapter, it was called, Oh, fuck! <laughs> I mean... I'm enjoying these books. I don't think Brandon Sanderson is like the most amazing author I've ever read. But he's good. Like he's yeah. a good author. Like but 
The description of the knife slamming into the wood on the other side of Yasna's body, Mm -hmm. that shit is chilling. Yeah. Like, that's like, it's not... It's not on the same level as some of the huge deaths in A Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, Mm -hmm. but it's close. Yeah. It's very close. You know what else really just gets me every time are the snapters in these couple of chapters. Yeah. Yeah. So the snapters in this whole section have been excerpts from Navani's journal looking back over the current time leading up to we're guessing what's going to happen in 62 days mm-hmm. but she the snapter for this chapter open flame says I was unprepared for the grief my loss brought like an unexpected rain breaking from a clear sky and crashing down upon me Gavilar's death years ago was overwhelming but this this nearly crushed me it's rough man yeah it's rough yep so we'll break down like the the kind of nitty-gritty of what happens in shallan's escape so she she sees yasna being stabbed through the chest Mm -hmm. she screams now i did not pick up on this the first time so it's it's an important detail i want to point out at this point they have drug yasna out into the hallway yes She's had a blow to the head. Mm -hmm. She's bleeding. She also has a wound in her chest. Not at that point. At that point, she's just been struck on the head, I think. Doesn't say there's a blossom. There's blood coming down on her chest. Okay. And they throw her out into the hallway, and they say, just just to be sure, they stab her in the chest. Mm -hmm. You know, eyes staring sightlessly. But when Shalon comes back out, the body is gone. It's gone. So she doesn't know if they dragged it upstairs, Mm -hmm. what happened, but she's expecting to stumble over it and she doesn't. In her room, she's just basically going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And Pattern is saying, the sword, you have a shard blade. Hey, hey, remember? Remember? She's too traumatized. She can't, whatever, you know, happened with that shard blade, she can't think about it. And and this is a tough one because everything that happens in this chapter, the end of this chapter, is because she makes that decision not to use the shard blade. Now, there's not a guarantee that if she had taken out a shard blade, she could have killed three bad dudes, right? right? At the same point in time, you kind of just have to swing it around. Like, it's not... Real difficult, right? Right. I I do worry that she would have accidentally cut a hole in the bottom of the ship. True. So that is a legitimate concern. But it would have been a lot safer than, I don't know, making the ship fucking disappear in the ocean at night. That's just the the overpowering effect of trauma on someone. You know, when someone has that level of post-traumatic stress yeah they will do anything to avoid a trigger and shallan has some memories that are locked tight away yeah there are several times i don't know if you noticed where when shallan will start to think about whatever one of these repressed memories are and she'll space out seemingly for a minute but then someone will be standing there going hey you know 
she yeah. is like she's shutting down for lengths of time yeah you when know, she's triggered yeah. by one of these memories it's true you know what else is traumatic what being in the ocean at night but trauma doesn't make sense I know reactions that. to trauma don't make sense i know that okay being in the ocean at night is fucking terrifying for the record it is <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's fucking horrific. It's the, the most frightening thing on the planet. I don't know how I feel about that, but... I'm sorry. It's objectively true. It's that and being eaten by a lion. Like, that's it. It doesn't get worse than that. I would go in the ocean at night before I would kill a bee. I mean, I wouldn't kill a bee. We don't kill bees. But like a wasp that was coming at me. What? Yeah. Not like dunked it. Not like jump off a ship, but. You mean like swim in the. Okay. Yeah. That's all I've ever done. Oh, okay. But I, but I swam in like. Like big ocean, big waves. And it's mm-hmm. fucking terrifying. Oh, okay. It's frightening. I was never in anywhere near like that kind of crazy situation, but. You mean you don't have nightmares about being on a ship on the ocean at night? No. All right. Then that means when I'm sleeping at night, you must be fucking with the bed and rocking it around and kicking me and rolling me out of bed. And then I mean, I don't me know up. what that has to do with nightmares. That's. T- I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> Chime in, listeners. Who else has <laughs> nightmares about being on a boat? It sounds relaxing to me. I'm sorry. Not not these. So back to Jalan's escape. She manages, instead of going for the shard blade, okay, she manages to half remember something that she knew how to do as a child, apparently, and she makes an image of a human-shaped sort of figure running out of the room. Doesn't sound like it was very convincing, but the ding-dongs that just killed Yasna, they fall for it. They chase after it. Mm-hmm. They think she's jumped over the side. Um, Shalon sends Pattern up to see what's going on. The bad guys are starting to execute the soldiers one by one. She realizes she has to do something. Now, I completely agree that turning the ship into water is like a completely boneheaded idea when you have magic soul casting powers like turn all turn maybe all we the could ro- soul cast anything else like you could i don't know go up on deck and turn all the rope that's holding them into cotton candy right. or tissue paper you yeah. could you could turn all of you know their swords or clubs or whatever they're using into little puppy power inflatable hammers but that's she's okay you know she's what? new at this you got to let people make mistakes so they can grow or drown. <laughs> so after that, Shalon explains the idea to Pattern. He's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> I think I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> You're my spren. This is what we're doing. <laughs> so he helps her to see Shadesmar. And for once, she's kind of bracing herself to fall into this ocean of glass beads. She doesn't. But she doesn't. She lands on solid ground. Now, that's where I said, and I have no idea why this would be. I, this is 
I think is going way out on a limb. But did Yasna mean it's not good to to soul cast here? It's especially dangerous now because they're on the ocean, and somehow this I don't know changes things, or you know you might accidentally soul cast a boat away. I you know I don't know. I don't think that's what she meant, but I but I did note that there seems to be an inverse relationship between land and water in Roshar and Shadesmar. That if you're on the ocean in Shadesmar, you land on solid ground. Mm-hmm. If you're on the ground in Roshar, you land in an ocean of null beads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good observation. So Shalon falls onto solid ground in Shadesmar. Uh, she, she realizes that the flames in the air that she saw before are people's minds. And so Pattern helps her to talk to the bead that is the ship. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting, this idea of objects, you know, not maybe not having a mind, but reflecting and keep hanging on to the thoughts that people have had about them. I just think that's such a cool idea and a neat bit of world building. So, well, and it wants to do its intended purpose. Right. You know. Right, and and it's different with different objects. You know, mm-hmm. this ship has been owned, you know, for generations and used and well cared for, and so it's taken on all the positive thoughts about itself. Yeah, it yeah. wants to continue to serve. It wants to mm-hmm. continue to be a ship, and only when she points out that the people that you're serving are dying, and if you do this, you can save them, is it willing to change? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, and it's like, all right. this is what you want me to do okay and then so one of the things we didn't point out is that the quote bad dudes are clearly looking for something yes they're rifling through yasna's room they apparently take one of her chests of books so they're looking for something and they're killing people one by one. Yes. Now, if you were trying to take a ship over quickly and effectively and just get rid of it and escape your nasty, foul crime, you would simply throw them all overboard with their hands tied. There would be no... Right. There would be no sense in making a big to-do about it, killing them slowly one at a time. Right. Right. With lots of screaming and crying. So that leads me to believe one of two things. These are either just really sick, sadistic sons of bitches, which I don't think is the case. I mean, I think they are sick, sadistic sons of bitches, but I don't think that's the why they're doing this. They are looking for something and they are threatening people to reveal something. Now, whether it's something specific they're looking for or what happened to Yasna's body that used to be in the hallway but there's something that they're trying to get. I'm going to kill somebody and tell me, mm-hmm. fine, I'll, you know, uh, is that is what it seems clear to me is going on. Yeah, I think that's a good observation. I thought it was so cool in these two chapters, the foreshadowing leading up to the event, you know, that the mention that meeting this new sailor and just mentioning that, oh, Captain Tozbeck had 
taken on a couple of new sailors in the last yeah. port. And then Shalon being, I mean, um, Yasna saying, oh, the my door latch has has is broken, you know? And you're like, uh, they, looking back, you're like, oh, that was on purpose. Yep. You know? It sure is. And I actually even at one point thought, although I no longer think this way, I thought that, uh, you know, that maybe Tozbeck was in on it. You know, the mm. door was broken and all this. Does not appear to be the case, the way things kind no. of break down here at the end. Uh, so I don't think that's what's going on. Um, but yeah, definitely. Also, the conversation with Yalb, where he's like, that boy's an idiot. One day, someone's going to take advantage of him. <laughs> right. Uh, not, not quite the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. I only have one other note on mm-hmm. this chapter, actually, and it's that there's a similarity between the very first chapter in this section where Dalinar is running through Pure Lake and this mm-hmm. spire comes up out of the middle of Pure Lake and he goes, this is strange. What is that? Obsidian, question mark. Right. Where obsidian is its own sentence. And then we have in here where Shalon is in Shadesmar and she sees that the ground is built out of something black and inky and she says obsidian question mark as its own mm-hmm. sentence so I don't I mean they're four chapters apart or three chapters apart I don't know if that's an intentional thing if the ocean floor in Shadesmar, which is like dry land, you know, is coming, is cracking through the surface in Pure Lake in this, you know, and these two worlds are coming together. I don't know, but it's it's probably a stretch, but something to to put on a back burner and pay attention to. Yeah, that's cool. That's everything I have. Yeah. Good it section. It is a good section. It's a bitch of an ending, but we'll get to read more about it soon. So next week, chapters 8 through 12. Yes. And would you like to hear some questions from our listeners? I would love to. So first, I wanted to point out and and really give a thank you to Eric Allgaier, for his post on our Facebook page saying, as of episode 75, D&D have recorded 100 hours of King Killer, Gentleman Bastards, and Stormlight content. More if you include Game of Thrones, Paper Girls, etc. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. There's been a lot of comments uh, throughout the week. We wouldn't be able to get into all of them, but we will read the ones that are in our Official, officially sanctioned, officially licensed questions, comments, and feedback (laughs) thread. So Eric Allgaier also posts a link to a Reddit page for recipes inspired by Stormlight Archive. I personally don't want to eat (laughs) Tallu. Though I admit this recipe looks delicious. It's chowder. Chada. Chowda. Chada. Cody Mitchell says, Do you think Yasna's really dead? 
I think she's mostly dead. <laughs> I got better. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk now. It's Miracle Max. You got to coat it in chocolate so it goes down. So that is actually one of my, and there's in that res, devolves into a lot of conversation that's kind of underneath of those comments. I think she's pining for the fjords. <laughs> Sorry, fjords. I stole that from Theo. He put it yeah. in here. Pining for the fjords. She slipped the mortal coil. <laughs> she bleed and snuffed it. So I have gone back and forth on what I think this is because we have we have the snapters where Navani is clearly talking about her grief. Right. We have the information that Yasna lets slip right before her death. Oh, by the way, you're going to have to know these things when I'm gone. Right. <laughs> Here's a convenient book. You'll probably need to try it out before you attempt to read it. Maybe you can float in on it, build yourself a boat out of paper. So there's that factor. But I don't think she's dead. Okay. We don't really know what all Yasna can do. Right. We do not know the height of her ability, her abilities, what she's able to do. We know there was a lot of talk about how blood is one of the easier essences to make and she's, you know, that she can soul cast blood uh, very easily. I'm not sure she can soul cast uh, her head being not caved in, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm not very confident about it and say, no, I don't think she's dead. All right. Cody Mitchell says, Liz, what is your ranking of best to worst Cosmere books? Oh, that's hard. Especially since my recent rereading of Warbreaker has me liking it so much more. You initially said you were not into that book. I I did. I said I would have easily said it was my least favorite. Now, I, I mean, I shed tears last time I read it. I really enjoyed it. So I would have to say I'm going to take series as a single book um, mm -hmm. rather than rate them. But Stormlight's still my favorite really hard but then I would have to say Mistborn Era 1 The Emperor's Soul I love that story Warbreaker Mistborn Era 2 White Sands at the bottom I may have missed one I don't think I did I, I, I didn't dig White Sands Mm -hmm. I, I like the story. Edge Dancer. Oh, Edge Dancer. Well, that's part of Stormlight. Oh, okay. That's part of the Stormlight universe. And Shadows for Silence in the in the Forest of Hell. I would put that sort of equal with the Emperor's Soul. That's, those are two short stories that mm, okay. Brandon Sanderson has written. Both are excellent. Um, and I like the story of White Sands. It's a graphic novel. The artwork did not get me at all it really mm. kind of put me off the story it's got 
it's got a really cool character, one of my favorites in it. But yeah, so that would be my ranking. Good question. I love lists. <laughs> Brian McClure says, uh, since you're already planning to do a one-off episode for Warbreaker, have you considered doing one-offs for some of the other of the Cosmere's shorter works, such as Emperor's Souls, Shadows of Silence, or Forest of Hell? I don't know. I would say at we predicting the future is not of the almighty. I mean, <laughs> we don't have any concrete plans Look, on that. Man, I'm afraid of commitment. <laughs> I would say as, especially as Stormlight Archive grows and, and as things come up that are going to impact the enjoyment of that, for sure, we will cover them. Beyond that, we don't know. Um yeah, Ian Trezise asks in a sub question, uh, hey, you got to throw Edge Dancer in there. Well, it's always been our plan to cover Edge Dancer. Right. Between Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. Uh, so we will we will cover Warbreaker in some format. We will uh, cover Words of Radiance, obviously, Edge Dancer, and then Oathbringer. Is it? Oathbringer is the third book. Oathbringer. And then we will cover Oathbringer. And then I think after that, Unless the fourth book comes out, and I don't think it's at all slated to, we will probably take a break for Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I'm not sure how the podcast timing is going to come out. I believe book four is meant to come out in 2020, Mm, um, fall of 2020. Although Brandon Sanderson's website literally has a project ticker where you can see exactly which stage of development all of his projects are in. And and it's accurate. It's Man. cool, right? I just wouldn't want that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I, I think it's awesome. And he's like, okay, he's starting writing the fourth book in January. It'll He knows exactly how many months it's going to take him. Mm-hmm. And then how many months of like, produ- you know, takes him like, I forget, six to nine months to actually write the book. Yeah. Well, and I mean, then, look, we're very transparent about our podcast and what we do. So I think it's basically the same thing. Pretty much. I, I mean, mean, we just get a lot less money. and <laughs> Like all less money. <laughs> all less money. We get negative money. <laughs> we, we had to pay $20 to put the podcast on. <laughs> These podcasts cost us $5 each. <laughs> it's true. But other than that, we're exactly like Brandon Sanderson. But otherwise. <laughs> I mean, you know, who, why are you going to split hairs, right? <laughs> so Theo, uh, Theo Graham Brown says, Chad, man, is Shen one of these Parshendi spies Navani mentions in the Snapters, do you think? I can't really make sense of his actions otherwise. Um, yeah. You think so? Yeah, I think he is. Hmm. I mean, I'm not confident about that. I think that whoever put that graffiti on or the message on Dalinar's wall, I think was probably a Parshman. Hmm. That's my take. I don't think... It's them saying, you will die in 62 days. Mm -hmm. I think it's something metaphysical saying, hey, 
the storm, the Everstorm, is going to break, and everything's going to go to hell in 62 days. Hmm. Now, having said that, who would be motivated to do that? I don't know. That, if I'm going that tack, makes it less likely that it's going to be a Parshendi mm-hmm. or a Parshman. However, who the fuck knows? Everything's, right. everything's crazy. There's nobody else. Who, like, it's not as though there's another group out there, unless it was a Spren. Hmm. They do have terrible handwriting. <laughs> this penmanship is deplorable. <laughs> the tiny non-fingers. <laughs> Go back to Shades Mario. you incompetent spren, you! <laughs> if, for instance, the party who was interested in conveying a message were a life spren, then the graffiti would only show up under a black light. <laughs> you'd be like you'd be walking through there, you know, they decide they were gonna have an eighties theme party and all of a sudden the wall would say, Sixty two days until death, and they'd be like, How long has this been here? <laughs> Eric Allgaier says, And when are we gonna get kids cast number two? So listen, man, kids cast number two was recorded months ago in a different piece of software and I have yet to figure out how to edit it to get it out and it just hasn't been a priority. But I'm going to need to learn how to edit using that software anyway eventually. I don't have anything to add there. Okay, all right. Are you ready for predictions? Yes. Okay. Obviously, there's something at the bottom of Pure Lake. Okay. Or in the middle of Pure Lake. Right. The Night Radiant in Dalinar's vision was talking to a spren that Dalinar couldn't see. Mm-hmm. I think that's also going to be how Dalinar gets caught. Because, and then another prediction should be, or I'm sorry, I said Dalinar. Kaladin. Kaladin is going to get caught. Another prediction should be, Kaladin is obviously going to have to reveal his power to somebody. Right. Probably by the end of this book. Banksy is a parchment. Not very confident about that. Okay. Or highly motivated life spread. <laughs> Adolin and Kaladin, best friends by the end of book three. All right. Each element, wind, fire, etc., is tied to a type of spread which is capable of bonding to a person. Okay. And Yasna's not dead. All right. And when you think about it, aren't we all just really motivated life spren? Exactly. We are the most motivated life spren. We are. And you know what the rest the rest of the life spren were? Losers. I was going to say Colleen, but I like your answer better. (laughs) Just cuts right to the chase, I think. (laughs) Too goddamn slow. That's what they were. All right. You can find us on 
thedukeanduchesspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast, on Instagram at the Duke and Duchess Podcast, and on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. And join our Facebook group page, which seems to be where most of the interaction is occurring, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Did you see that uh, Kate Hudson posted a topless photo of herself on Instagram as a motivation to lose 25 pounds? She just had a baby. Okay, when you do air quote topless, are like, was she literally missing her torso? That is the <laughs> only way in which like, I would find that like acceptable or interesting. N- I lost 25 pounds by literally cutting off a part of my body. I I just got rid of my lungs. <laughs> I don't need them. I could post naked pictures of myself on the internet, but I don't think it's going to help me lose 25 pounds. I'd have to post at least three photos. Help me lose something. I got 75 pounds to lose. Help me lose my knickers. <laughs> <laughs> I like your 75 pounds. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, so, in all the right places? Works for me. <laughs> it works for me. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast.